As I start, I'm reminded of a passage of Scripture. I just want to mention to you, we're not going to spend time there, but the Apostle Paul wrote in one of his letters, he said, So then death, death works in us, but life in you. And that is a paradox to our flesh, that death produces life. Jody's testimony, the death that she went through, that, that death of pride, that death of personality, that death of letting go of my father, my dad, my earthly dad, now it's producing life in this service. All these years later, isn't that beautiful? And that's how God works. Jesus made it clear unless a seed falls into the ground, it can't sprout into the plant or the tree that He intends it to be. And so... That's not the primary thrust of the message, but that was in my heart to remind us, don't be afraid of the death of the body. I mean, literally, your final death from this life, don't be afraid of that if you know the Lord, but also suffering. My grandfather used to have a phrase, so what? So what? And that's an old school way of thinking about it, but it's true. Like, what's the worst that can happen to you if you're God's child? You have a little discomfort? What, what does Scripture tell us? The, the trials of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. Amen. And, and the things, why, why does God let bad things happen to good people? I, that's one of the biggest questions the atheist has. To doubt religion, and I doubt religion too, but I don't doubt God. They're not the same thing, brothers and sisters. And he's proving that here in these services. He's reminding us. He's teaching us. I'm not that. Jesus didn't... This would be in the message some. He didn't give us a religious system to perpetuate. He gave us life. And life is in Him. So... With that little introduction on my heart, here's the title of the message. Are you really living? Brother, sister, anybody listening? Are you really living? Are you really living? Are you? I'm not ready to move on from that question in my spirit yet. Are you living? Or you just do what you have to do every day? Are you living or do you just get out of your box and get in your box and go to a box and do what you have to do? Are you actually living? Are you living or are you forcing yourself to conform to people's expectations? Are you living? Is life working in you because death first worked in you? Has God broken you of the mechanical nature of self-reliance? Has He broken you of that and are you living in the life of the Spirit? Are you? Sometimes I feel like I can answer yes. I want to answer yes all the time. Because everything else is... What is the point of this if we're not living? Right? And yet, the limitations of my flesh and the sins of this tabernacle distract me from life. So as we go into this message... I want you to dwell on that question. Are you living? Not just existing. That, that Greek word, I didn't study it out for today, but I remember from the past, it's the word zoe. It's life. There's another word, bios, which is the biosphere, the stuff out there. It's not the same as the life inside of us. God created us as, as I think this is accurate, as bios, and then He breathed into us. And we became a living soul. He didn't do that to the animals. The animals have a form of life, but it's a shadow of the life we have. We have this bodily life, but we have inside of us something that's going to live on forever. Are you living? And if you are living, if you have inside of you the life of Christ, how come this thing sometimes acts like it's not living? I think the simple answer to that is the times that we're not living, the times that we're not in fullness of life, it's because we've allowed the enemy to steal it. Amen. So let's look at Scripture, John chapter 10. 
Are y'all cold on this side? Are you okay? Can you turn that down some, Daniel? It's blowing heat right on me. Turn, turn it down a little bit. Thank you. John chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 6. John chapter 10, verse 6. Jesus is speaking. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. By the way, boy, that could be a whole series of messages. How much does God tell you that you just, you just don't get it? That's okay. That's how it's always been. And he helps us. Seventh verse. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. He didn't say, I gave you a sheep door. He didn't say, the sheep door's over there. He didn't say, I built a sheep door for you to use. He said, I am the sheep door. And that very phrase is reminiscent of God self-identifying to Moses as I am. The ever-existing one. We, I've been preaching this more since I've been here than I ever have. That Jesus gave us Himself. And I have a sense in my spirit that we still just barely grasp it. That I could spend the rest of my life preaching that He's the way, He's the truth, and He's the life, and none of it would be wasted because the more deeply we could understand that, we still wouldn't fully understand it. There is nothing else, brothers and sisters, except Jesus. And what He leads, and what He guides, and what He directs. He says, I'm the door. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear him. Anything that purports itself to be a door, anything that makes you think you can go through it and have some help or some strength or some life, it is fake. It's an illusion. There's only one door. And I want to be very clear. Your, your co-worker mama and... and, and Lily, Kenny, and his family, and your coworker at work, Jody, every one of us, every burden we have, every brokenness in the world, Jesus is the only solution. And I don't mean we just need to tell them about Jesus. I don't mean that. That is a perpetuation of a religious system. I mean they need Jesus. Not what I think about Him. Not just information about Him. They actually need Him. And what a privilege we get to play any kind of role in that. Because all people need is Jesus. They don't need me. At all. And yet God has allowed me on occasion to tell people about Him. So that they might know Him. But He does it all. I praise Him for that. He says, I'm the door, ninth verse, by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He'll, show, he'll go in and out and find pasture. What a fascinating, I don't have time to dig into the depths of that phrase, but just consider it for a moment. He can go in and out. There is such freedom with God. That's, that struck me when we've had several people unite with this congregation with the feeling of, I don't know how long I'll be here. You know, that's just a statement of reality. None of us has any promise of anything in the future except the salvation God gave us when we surrendered to Him. We don't know how long we're going to live. This building could have blown away a few weeks ago in the tornadoes. We don't know. And James actually teaches us in Scripture that you should be careful what you say you're going to do tomorrow. You should say, if the Lord wills. And the way we should live, brothers and sisters, is go through that door, be absolutely surrendered to Him, come in to His full presence, go out into the life we have to live, come into His presence, go out. You understand? (laughs) This just overwhelmed me. There was a time when... um, I I didn't prepare this either, so I hope I have the the details right. Moses and Elijah up on the mountain, they appeared. And Jesus' apostles said, should, should we make some buildings, some tabernacles? No, that wasn't the, it wasn't their job. That was a manifestation of the power of God that was for a purpose. And it wasn't so they could just sit there feeling good the rest of their lives. 
They weren't supposed to dwell. And I, I think part of this phrase, you can come in and out, is here's the truth. I said earlier, I wish that I could always feel this manifestation of the powerful life of God in every moment in the fullness. It's, it's just not going to be that way. For a couple of reasons. One is the sinfulness of our flesh. But also, I don't think God intended it to be that way because how would faith develop? And how would we minister to people who are young in the faith when they have to go through things that are impossible in life if all we ever did was sit in the presence of God and never have anything hard happen? That's not life. And so when I say, are you really living? I'm not saying, are you happy all the time? Because here's what life does. Life is like a, a score of classical music. Up and down and up and down. You know real, real classical music before they compress the sound waves? Man, it gets so loud it, and then it gets so small. It gets so big and it gets so tiny. That's life, isn't it? There's exuberance and there's the opposite, whatever word that would be. There's excitement and there's despair. All of those things are life. So when I say, are you really living, I'm not suggesting that you should be happy all the time. I'm saying, is it real? You know what? Life is real. This morning, what has happened in this service has been real. It's authentic. That's what we need to get back to, brothers and sisters. The real things. And it, and it all starts with the door. Jesus Christ going through him, coming in and out and finding pasture. Then he says in the 10th verse, this is the main text, <clears throat> The thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. The only purpose of Satan, our enemy, the adversary, it says he cometh not but in order to. His only existence is to steal, kill, and destroy. He has no redeeming qualities. There's nothing good about him. It's all bad. That's right. And all he wants to do is steal what God has given you. Kill what God has produced in you. Destroy what God is building in you. Yes. Steal around you. Kill around you. Destroy around you. Yes. That's what the, so listen, like I preached uh, recently about life's messes last week. Feels like a long time ago now. Life's messes. The enemy wants you to think you're too big of a mess to do anything useful. He wants you to think it's all hopeless. He wants you to think you're no good. He wants you to, if he can get you down on yourself, as long as you're focused on yourself, and he'll use the exact opposite too. He'll make you think that you are something, that you are useful, that you have done something good. But here's the truth. We're all dead in this body, and the only life we have is if the life of Jesus works in us. And that's what he gave us. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I'm come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. Are you really living? Do you have abundant life? Do you live with abundance? Do you? Now, I, don't, I still haven't figured out why, but a lot of small Baptist churches in this area, they think abundance is bad. I don't know if it's the Appalachian background. I don't know if it's a, a, a false attempt to squelch pride. I'm not sure what it is. But Jesus said, I came to give you abundance. We don't have to be afraid of the abundance of God. God, I want you to hear me clearly. And I'm talking about everything. Spiritual, emotional, physical, mental. I'm talking about finances. I'm talking about family. I'm talking about health. God is not going to bless you more than is good for you. You don't have to worry about limiting the blessings of God so your head doesn't get too big or something. He's not going to over-bless you. So, you, can, you don't have to keep yourself humble in that way. Just live. And if you look at Him and trust Him, He will help you with the abundance that He gives you. He'll also help you with the brokenness. I've come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that's a hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, leaveth the sheep, fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth them. The hiring fleeth because he's a hireling, cares not for the sheep. He's a hired hand. 
I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I know. Does, does God know you? Does He know you? And He says, I know my sheep and I am known of mine. Do you know the good shepherd? Or do you just know a bunch of information about Him? Do you actually have Jesus and His life? Or do you just have an inculcated religious system? Do you have religious training? Or do you have life welling up inside of you? What do you have? I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I'm known of mine. As the Father knows me, even so I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. That's a fascinating sentence. I know God the Father in the same way that He knows me. That's a beautiful truth. But he couples it in the same sentence with, I lay down my life for the sheep. In other words, knowing God compels me or teaches me to lay down my life for you. And the same is true for us, brothers and sisters. There's no room for pride in the Lord's congregation. There's no room for self-lifting uh, up. In fact, self-effacement is what is good. Uh, don't exalt your, We can't exalt ourselves. There's no room for any of that. God will lift us up when He needs to. And, and everything else is a distraction. He, I know the Father, He knows me, I lay down my life for the sheep. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Oh, that's beautiful to me, brothers and sisters. All of the religious division one day is going to be gone. God didn't create religious division. We created it through trying to maybe adhere more strictly or maybe sometimes to produce our own self-righteousness. I'm not saying denominations aren't necessary. They might be necessary in our culture. But that wasn't God's original plan. And one day, all the division, all of the otherness, in fact, all of we look out there at them, those people who aren't as clean as us, that's all going to be gone too. All we're going to see someday is as Jesus sees. We're going to see people that we didn't know how He could love, and we're going to say, wow, oh, no wonder God loves you so much. We're going to see what He sees. And I'm not talking about meriting salvation. I'm, not, I'm saying we will one day see. We'll know even as we're also known. What a beautiful picture. And that's part of what this verse, other sheep I have which aren't in this fold. Man, I wish that our brothers and sisters, the, what we call churches of like faith and order, I wish they could get that. I wish we could get that fully. I feel like God's working and teaching, but I want us to get it. Amen. That there is nothing except God's plan. Amen. That's it. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Wow. I'm come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And then he says, God loves me because I'm willing to die. What a paradox. It only makes sense except... Spiritually, only makes sense with the Holy Spirit's illumination. And this is, are you willing to die? Are you willing to die daily? Paul said, I die daily. Are you willing to let go of all of that stuff, all that self-reliance? I want to ask you a hard question. This makes a lot of people angry. I don't think it will make you angry. I hope not, because I mean it in love. Are you willing to let go of all the religious stuff you've been trained up in? Are you? I mean, let's be honest. Don't answer me if you... Because I'm not sure if I am. I want to be. Let me be honest. I want to be. I don't feel like I'm as traditional as some other preachers in our ranks. But I don't know that I'm willing to let go of it all unless the Lord helps me. We can't do anything on our own, can we? I want to want to. <laughs> right? It's like the man in Scripture. He's... Jesus said, if you believe this is possible, and he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He said, that's the translation. He said, I trust you, but I know it's not enough. You've got to help me. Mary Grace used to tell us when she was potty training. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes, she said, I got a wanna wanna first. I got a wanna wanna first. Do you want to want to serve the Lord? I'm being, I, this is as serious as I can be. I mean, that might seem funny, but I mean it. 
Do you, do you want to want to serve him more than anything else? Would you really be willing to let go of everything that you're comfortable with if it meant knowing him more fully? I'm hungry for that. I'm hungry for that. And I don't know what it means. I'm not saying we need to tear down anything. It's not about destruction. It's about life. But I can tell you this very clearly. Anything that you hold on to that's not Jesus Christ and His plan and His Holy Spirit can be an idol. Yes. This building, yes. these pews, these songbooks, our tradition, our church name, yes. these decorations, all of it can become an idol. Your children, your, your parents. I heard a lot of people talk about when the Lord was dealing with them, I had to let go of my mom or my daddy. Anything you cling to other than the righteousness of Christ can be an idol. And so, even if we're really not able to let go of it, we need to be willing to if God will help us. These are beautiful thoughts, beautiful pictures of what Jesus has done in us and for us and through us and around us and, goodness, in spite of us. He says, I love me because I lay down my life. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up. This commandment have I received of my Father. Then it says this. This is so fascinating to me. There was a division, therefore, again, among the Jews for these things. <laughs> Jesus speaks the truth. It makes the religious people angry. Jesus speaks the truth. It divides. Brothers and sisters, I'll, let me be clear. This is part of what's on my heart. We have been infected. We, me, you, all of us, have been infected with a lie from the enemy. That the greatest Christian virtue is to be nice to people. Is to help them feel comfortable. Is to create unity. That's not the greatest Christian purpose. We're supposed to tell the truth. We're supposed to love people enough to speak the truth. And Jesus said, don't think I came to bring peace in the earth. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. What was He talking about? He's talking about the sword of truth that divides light from darkness. I'm not saying we should be mean or nasty. I'm saying we should be truthful. We need to be people of truth. And that hasn't got off my heart from last Sunday night. God is calling us to return to the truth. Not religious systems, not our comfort zone, not what our grandparents taught us, not what we're perpetuating. Him, the truth. Jesus is the truth. He's calling us to return to Him and to do whatever that costs us. Are we willing to? I'll be honest, it's hard for me sometimes to preach things that I know is going to offend someone. It's hard for me. It's hard. This has happened plenty of times. People come, they act all excited, and they're your best buddy, and then you preach something they don't like, and they leave. It hurts. Do you love them enough to tell the truth anyway? There's, I don't mean be a busybody. There's some things that you just don't need to say. But when it's true and when God is in it, are you willing to pay the price? Are you? I hope I am. I pray, pray for me. I want to be bold. I want to be more bold. Not less loving. I want to be more bold. I want you to be more bold. I want us to have courage. I want us to be used by the Lord. So these religious people get angry. Jesus clarified later in the chapter. He said, basically, the reason that this doesn't affect you the way it is is because you're not my sheep. You're angry because you're not mine. Now, I'm not saying that if somebody doesn't agree with me, they're not saved. Jesus can see the heart and I can't. That's not what I... But what I am saying is, if the preaching of God's Word arouses some sort of anger in you, you better dig down deep and figure out why. Truth shouldn't make a child of God angry. It shouldn't. Truth should produce brokenness so that then God can produce strength. Truth is supposed to break us. It's supposed to clean us up. It's supposed to wash away all the... Filth. And that's not comfortable. Have you ever gotten a pretty, pretty good wound? Or even a, sometimes a paper cut is the most aggravating. Have you ever gotten a wound and you need to clean it out? If it's a real wound, you get it dirty, 
you've been, I mean, I, I've seen Brother John grinning. If you've been in a combat zone or you've been in, in the, a field working or you've been a farmer or whatever, you've got to clean that thing up or it can get infected. You might lose your arm, but it hurts. Are you willing for God to clean out your wounds so He can heal them? That initial sting is hard. It's uncomfortable. It's a lot more pleasant to just leave it alone. Let it be numb. Right? Don't we do that with our own souls, our own spirit? No, no, don't do that, Lord. Just, I just, we put on shells. We get tough. We get, I, want to be, I just want to be numbed to it. You know what happens to a numb wound? Turns into gangrene. It dies. Numbness produces death. The Holy Spirit wants to clean us up through the power and the, and, uh, uh, the washing of His Word. And I, that cleaning doesn't feel good to the flesh. And the more you fight it, the more it hurts. How many of y'all have told children that when you're cleaning up a wound? You're just going to make it worse. <laughs> I tell my precious little daughter at her age, it amazes me. She sometimes just argues. And I'll just, I say, honey... You are making your life more difficult than it has to be. And sometimes she gets it. And sometimes not because she's a little girl and, you know, it takes time. That's okay. But are we making our lives more difficult than it has to be? The Lord says, I, just let me clean it out. It's going to take a second if you'll surrender. Open it up. Let me clean it. I'm going to fix it. And we're like, no, 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 no. No, I don't want it to be cleaned. <laughs> I'm not being silly. I'm being serious. Sometimes we respond to the Lord like a temper tantrum two-year-old. And He knows what is best. Oh, man, truth shouldn't make us uncomfortable, brothers and sisters. We know the Lord. We're people of light. It should, it should, look at this. this is, we should feel good with truth. Are you the Lord's sheep? Do you know Him? Is He working in you? Let's get back to the question I asked, and I have some points to make before I'm finished. Are we really living, or are we just existing each day? Is our life, my life, your life, is it vibrant and purposeful? Or you just do what you have to to get by? There's an epidemic right now. Some of you are aware. Some of you might not really see how bad it is. Young people have more despair than they've ever had in this country. Suicide. Do you realize what a lie it is from the enemy to convince a young, vibrant person, a person who should be vibrant, who has their life in front of them, that their life's not worth living? I remember having conversations with people, and you all know my, my grandpa, Brother Hackett, was my, my mentor but he came from a generation where that just seemed stupid to him. I'm being honest. He just thought that was dumb. He didn't get it. Just get over yourself. Like, man up. That was the attitude. And what I'm saying is, if you feel that way, you might not understand the brokenness and the lie that people are operating under. There's depression. There's brokenness. There's... You know why? Let, let me say this before I go on. God's people allowed the enemy to infect our world with anti-Christian worldviews and convince us that we should live in ways that are unhuman. And now everybody's suffering. I've noticed it's different. You, the baby boomers, Generation X, Millennials, Gen Z. The Millennials and Gen Z. I have more hope for the Gen Z people. That's like Daniel, Jonathan. Daniel's maybe the upper end, probably Jonathan. There's, I have more hope for that. Do you know that I, I, mean, I see them, they're on their phone less than baby boomers and when I'm looking around in public. Yes. Do you know that? Yes. Some of y'all gray heads are addicted. Yes. Absolutely addicted to technology. Yes. Ten years ago, some people in my family were kind of an untraditional family. They're talking about cell phone tumors on, on the brain. You know, don't get a cell phone. And now the same ones are on there for hours. I have the same struggle. Did the truth change? 
No, we got sucked in to a world system that is a problem. You say, well, you know, technology can be good. Yeah, the technology, there's a phone pointed at me right now so people can watch online. I agree. But let me tell you what happened. I'm going to be real, y'all. One of the greatest problems in my life, I get on there to do something necessary, and 45 minutes later I say, what have I been doing? And then I don't even know why I got on... The other day, I'm, I'm, I'm diligently working. I say, let me see what time it is. You know where the time is? In that box that controls it. I look at, and it's literally 45 minutes. And I, oh, I wanted to see what time it is. <laughs> it's not by accident. These things aren't life. I'm not just rambling. I'm telling you, this stuff is a distraction from life. Are we really living? We're just existing. Are we just trying to get by? And by the way, how did I get off on that from young people are depressed? That's part of why they're depressed. That's not purpose. That's not the struggle. That's not why we are here. <clears throat> by the way, young men, safety is not good for you. It's not good for you. You're using your mama as a safety net. Stop. It's bad for your soul. It's bad for you. I'm not directing that at any person. I'm just saying this. I heard a quote the other day. I'm just, I, listen, I got to preach what God has put in here. Is it possible to become a man in a world where courage is not required? Is it possible to become a man in a world where courage is not required? Our world doesn't require courage of the young men anymore. And it doesn't require courage in a different way for the young women either. Can you really be a man if your life's never dangerous? Can you? It might seem silly to you, but that's why I cut down trees every chance I get. It's an acceptable form of danger. It's not good for me to sit in my office and do safe things all the time. It's my job to make life safe for my baby, not for me. Do you understand? This is something that, this is old-fashioned. And here's what I'm telling you. I keep having conversations. I had a conversation this week with a friend of mine who's my age. And she has it on her heart because church hasn't done what it's supposed to do. She wants to create a place for people to go and experience life. And I listen to all the things God has put on her heart. And I said, you know what? You're trying to reinvent the world the way it used to be. That's how everybody lived until 40, 50 years ago. Now we've bought into something that's not really life. What, so you can be safe? Let's talk about that. Jesus said, I came that you might have life. I've asked this question today, are we really living? I've talked about some of the things that threaten life, but let's look at it specifically. Let's talk about what are some of those things that prevent us from really living? Now, I've, I've kind of danced around this, but I want to be very specific. One of the main things that keeps you from life is fear. Psalm 56.3 says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. The psalmist said, whenever I'm afraid. Do you know David was afraid sometimes? And he, he had the presence of mind and the hunger for the presence of God. He didn't say, I'm never going to be scared. He said, when I am afraid, I'm going to trust in the Lord. There might be people listening. You know, when I preach messages like this, I invariably have people reach out to me and say, thank you, nobody preaches about these struggles. I have been battling. I almost ended my life. So if you're somebody like that, either in this building or listening on this video or this recording, I want you to hear me clearly. The best way to get out of being trapped like that is to start living. Not try to keep yourself safe, but get busy living. Amen. Proverbs 3.25 says, Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it comes. God's people aren't supposed to be afraid of disaster when it strikes. We're not supposed to be afraid of 
what could suddenly... We're not supposed to be afraid of sudden fear. There's a different kind of fear. We should have the fear of the Lord. That's not sudden fear. That's a mature, cultivated awareness of who God is. As I was preparing this, something came to my heart, and I'm going to put it on a sticky note by my computer, because that's usually where I'm afraid. I'm not afraid when I'm out working. I'm afraid when I'm sitting there thinking. Any of you, is that true? We've got a phrase, my, my wife says this, I, I've been in my head. Listen, your head's a dangerous place. That's not where life is. You're in your head, get out of your head and go out there and start living. I mean that. Here's the phrase, I will choose faith over fear this year. I don't know if I always will, but I want to. Do you? Or you want to be afraid? I don't want to be afraid. That's not life. And when I am afraid, Lord, help me trust in you. The next thing, and I'll move through the rest of this message a little more rapidly. Fear steals, steals uh, the ability to live. So does worry. You can't live when you're worried. What is worry, really? It's fear of the future. You know what worry really is? I don't like uncertainty. I think in my life, with my temperament, the way I'm wired, the most stress for me comes from uncertainty. I'd rather, if there's uncertainty, I had a, a work situation recently where I was going to try to partner up with somebody. I realized it wasn't going to work. and It took a few weeks to terminate that relationship. And the thing I'm mad at myself the most about is I didn't do it three weeks earlier. Because of all the uncertainty that I endured in the meantime, you know why I didn't? Because I wanted to be nice. I want to be more honest. I would have more peace. God wasn't forcing me to be nice. He already showed me what was necessary. And I worried, worried, worried. Fear of the unknown is going to hurt this person's feelings. They're going to be mad at me. Am I going to seem mean? Let me, let me tell you something. You're not responsible for how other people feel. Your grandchildren, your children, your nieces, your nephews, your brothers, your sisters, your mommy, your daddy, your church members, you're not responsible for how other people feel. You're responsible for what you do and what you say. And if you are doing your best to speak the truth in love, how they feel is their responsibility. That doesn't mean you can't swallow your pride and apologize even when there was no reason to. I've done that plenty of times. Because a brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city. I've apologized when I wasn't wrong just to soften the situation. And that's something God calls us to. But if I preach the truth to the best of my ability and it's still imperfect because I'm imperfect and I'm just a man and it makes you mad, that's your fault. If I'm not being mean on purpose, that's not my fault, right? It's the same for you. We have to speak the truth. We can't worry about what are you going to think, what's going to happen. Anxiousness or worry, it comes from uncertainty. I'll tell you something the Lord showed me last year in December, over a year ago, that I wish I could remember every day. It was so clear. It was like He told me, just because your future's unknown to you doesn't mean it's uncertain to me. He knows the plan He has for us. He knows. Plans for good and not for disaster. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Do you know God does not have disaster planned for you? He doesn't. You say, well, these bad things keep happening in my life. Well, maybe you're too proud. And God is trying to get your attention. That's been true for me plenty of times. But He doesn't plan disaster for us. He has good planned for us. A couple more points that steal life from us. Fear, worry, or uncertainty of the future. Here's another one. Anger that becomes bitterness. I phrased it that way on purpose. Anger's, anger is dangerous, but it's not the worst thing. Bitterness is. The Scripture says in Hebrews, Beware lest any root of bitterness spring up and defile you. Bitterness is sneaky. 
It gets under here. There's some minor misunderstanding with your wife or, or your husband or some minor misunderstanding with a brother or sister at church, and it festers. You know why? Because you weren't honest. You didn't tell them the truth. You didn't say, this hurt my feelings. Is this what you meant? You didn't say, I had... <laughs> It overwhelmed me. Some people came here to visit recently, and the reason they came was so the man could apologize to me because he realized he thought something about me that wasn't true. It, that overwhelmed me. You know how much humility it took for him to do that? He heard a rumor about another preacher, and he assumed it was me. And he found out it wasn't, and he said, I have to go there and say I'm sorry. He's not a member of our church. Why can't we do that with each other? Why can't our sister... I mean, Satan destroys churches over somebody. I'm not going to say I'm sorry. Y'all have seen it. That's why I said sometimes for the sake of unity and peace, it's, you say sorry even if you're not wrong. Bitterness. It, oh, it's so dangerous. There's times that, that there is righteous indignation and, and anger happens sometimes. And, and this is... Another sermon, but I need to say this. There are in, the, in humans, God created us, there are, are masculine attributes and feminine attributes. And we all have both. Anger is a masculine quality. It's a, it's a masculine attribute. And it's not always sinful. Do you think Jesus was peaceful and happy? when he made a rope and threw over people's tables and scared them enough that he chased them out of the room they were in, he was angry. But he didn't let it become bitterness. He did what was necessary in that moment for God's glory. And then he was done. He went right back to loving them. That's why Ephesians 4.26 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Or in other words, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Brothers, if you get mad at each other, if you get mad at me, you get mad at home, whatever it is, deal with it. Get it over with. Don't let it fester. That's the point. Watch out for bitterness. Anger left unchecked becomes bitterness. So why are you dwelling on this, Brother Josh? Because God is producing life in this congregation and the enemy wants to destroy it and one of the main ways he'll do it is through bitterness. Little subtle. And probably it'll be me. Probably I'll hurt your feelings. Because I do that. I don't mean to. Hurt my wife's feelings all the time. I'm trying to get better about it. I'm saying that with, I mean really. I'm trying. But I'm, I'm just not sometimes good at that. And I want to get better. But we need to love each other enough to love in spite of that. I've heard this quote, maybe you have, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the person you're mad at will die. Sometimes somebody wrongs you in such a way, it's hard not to be bitter. It's like a prison for you, not for them. You know, somebody hurts you, and they go on about their life, they don't even know that you're bitter at them. They don't even know the nights that you're not sleeping. They don't even know when your blood pressure's up. They don't even know when you're distracted from loving your family well because you're bitter. They don't even know. And your life is being held up because of it. Man, bitterness is dangerous. That's why later in Ephesians, that chapter, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you along with all malice. Or get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Brother said, we've got to let go of that stuff. doesn't mean you can't ever feel it. But when you feel it, do what you need to and surrender it to the Lord. And the final point before we conclude, the final there's others, but these are the four the Lord really impressed me with. One of the most dangerous ways to prevent yourself from actually living is through conformity. Conformity. Romans 12 says this, 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, 
and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not conform. Don't do it. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't copy, New Living Translation says it this way, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but instead let God transform you into a new person by changing how you think. Have we been influenced by the customs and pattern of the world? Oh, yeah. I mean, let's admit it. The way we do life. I'm, I'll say this. I think I, I believe it. Most people who claim to know God do not have a Christian worldview. They might be saved. They might go to church. Most church people I know don't have a Christian worldview. You know why? If I tell them my little girls and watch TV, they look at me like I'm an alien. What's her favorite show? She doesn't watch shows. She can later, but not while her brain and soul and mind and heart are developed. No. No. I'm not saying I'm better. This is something God has put in our heart. And my brothers and sisters think I'm crazy. You know why? They've been infected by an anti-biblical worldview. I'm not saying I'm better. I'm saying they don't realize what's happening. Or we've got people in this room who've homeschooled intentionally. God bless you. Because the worldview says, when you're, it used to be seven, and then it was five and six, and then now it's preschool, and now it's like you're like two years old. People give their children to the state until they're 24 or 28 years old now. You expect for a child to be able to know what God thinks and wants not going to happen. We've got to be careful about it. And, and, and this, com- this comes through being conformed to the world. Yeah. Not transformed. I love the people that God is drawing into this congregation that are, have, have a little bit of different backgrounds and God has done a little bit of different, a little unusual things that maybe... I like it when I talk to somebody who they start telling me a story and they say, you're going to think I'm crazy, but... They start talking and I feel the presence of God and I say, I don't think you're crazy. I feel it. The Holy Spirit witnesses it. Why would I think I'm crazy? they're crazy? Only because I've conformed to a system of the world. And by the way, the system of the world, I mean, I've been talking about that, the conformity of the world, the collective system of the world... And I, I, to be clear, I think that's the greatest threat to the existence of God's churches. Conformity to the system of the world. But also, this is a, a problem uh, amongst denominational groups and tribal groups. Conformity to group think. One time I preached at a Methodist church on Easter. We had a, a joint service and I, I might have told you all this, but he, he wanted us to tag team the message. Like pre-plan it and him preach a portion and me preach a portion and I said, look, brother, if, I mean, if you want me to preach on a particular passage, I'll be glad to read that passage. But I can't tell you what God is going to burden me to say. I can't conform. And you know what he told me? I'm making this point. He said, we're method, Methodist. We method everything. I'm not picking on Methodists. I'm just telling... He had enough awareness of the tribal group he was associated with, of the religious system he was in. He had enough awareness that he said, this is how we do it. Maybe it's not the best, but do you have enough awareness to say there are some Baptist things, there are some Tennessee things, there's some missionary Baptist things that I'm used to, but maybe God's not in it. Can we do that? I hope we can. I pray we can. I pray for that. I do. I'm not trying to stop being Baptist. I'm trying to be completely into Jesus. It's it's dangerous to conform to our own tribal religion. Um, And every religious group has this stuff. And we got to be, I'm almost done, I'll say these things. We need to be 
cautious of conforming to any system. Brother Steve handed me a, a paper this morning. Had no idea what I was preaching on. And you know what the, the quote was? Souls are not saved by systems, but by the Spirit. Amen. None of our systems save people. I, I want to be clear. None of our religious traditions save people. And the things that make us comfortable... Lily talked about... I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but you've said it publicly. She talked about sometimes maybe feeling uncomfortable because tattoos and whatever, and people look at you different. You know why? That's not because of Jesus. It's because of trained religious etiquette. There, there's a, and that doesn't mean it's good or bad. It's just there's etiquette that we're taught. There's a, a certain way we should behave. We exp- and that's okay, but there needs to be something a lot bigger than that underneath the power and the life and the love of Jesus. That's why more and more in my life, I'd rather have a conversation with somebody who's honest, even if that means they don't seem nice. You know what I'm talking about? I'm so tired of posturing. I'm so tired of, of inauthenticity. I'm so tired of trying to project what you think is expected instead of just being real. Brothers and sisters, let's be real. Let's be used by God. Let me read this little passage to you before we conclude. Ephesians 5.8 You were once darkness. Not just in darkness. You were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, live as children of light. What I'm talking about, brothers and sisters, with telling the truth, with being honest with each other, let every man live honestly with his neighbor, owe no man anything but to love one another. I could quote more and more scriptures. What I'm talking about is truth. You know what truth is? It's light. What light does, it exposes darkness. Dark, light makes darkness uncomfortable. But light's good for people that want the light. That what we're told when Jesus came into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil, but the ones who loved the light came to the light, not so they could feel better, but so their deeds might be exposed. That is what we need. God, expose me to myself. That's the only way we're going to live, brothers and sisters. I mean, you can be saved, but until the Holy Spirit exposes you to yourself and you say, God, thank you for showing me who I am. I want to see myself. I do. Because sometimes I don't see how terrible I am until I see myself. I'm not talking about being down on myself. I mean, I want to surrender that to the Lord. That's what I want Him to do in this church, this congregation, and in all of His people. Are you really living? Let's get a song, please. Are you really living? I asked that question at the beginning, however long ago it was. I want you... Go home thinking about it. Are you really living? Are you telling the truth to each other? Are you living honestly? Are you being loving? Let's make sure we are. God bless you. I love you all.